Welcome to another episode of Dan's Den Podcast. I'm sitting down with my sister Haley. Looking forward to this for a long time here. Nice rainy day here in Rhode Island. Haley, happy you're here, man. I'm glad you can make it. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad to be here. It's been a long time coming. I know you just kind of finished up a class you were taking, right? Yeah, communications. Oh, so fun. So that was a little summer course. How long is that one? Six weeks. I have two summer sessions split into six weeks each. They pack a lot of stuff in there. Oh, yeah. This this cl- this session is microbiology, so that in six weeks is interesting. Yeah, that's a heavy one in just a regular, what, 12-week semester yeah. anyway. Oh, yeah. I've done one or two of those summer courses, man. It's It's fun in the sense of getting the credit and not having to do a whole nother semester mm-hmm. kind of staying on board for the the timeline also it's free for me all right even better yeah so then it's our little... school pays for two summer classes for anybody that's willing and wants to take them so that's i always take advantage of the it is a, a rushed course it, it's a lot of it's a lot more course work jammed into a shorter amount of time but it's worth it so for, um, for our listeners here, I know a lot of our listeners are our friends and family, so they already know the deal. <laughs> so what are you taking classes for? I'm in nursing school right now. Hell yeah. Yes, sir. I know you have some background as a certified nursing assistant, as a CNA. How long have you been doing that? Uh, collectively, about five years now. Um, I was also a medical assistant for a little brief period of time in there. And I've been a med tech for about three years now, too. Right. So then I know you said there's different certifications. So the med tech is a specialization, but it's you're still doing... CNA work. Yeah, yeah essentially. Um, all it means is that I can pass medications to the residents, whereas the CNAs can't do that. Is that like a, a state regulated thing or is that you could go to any state and be a med tech now? No. I'd have to take a separate test, I believe. I mean, I'd have to double check that. I couldn't imagine because I know for nursing or even CNA, you have to get your license transferred. Even just going to Massachusetts, I would have to take a different test and get a different license to be a CNA and work in Mass versus Rhode Island. That makes sense. It's similar for athletic training. It's um, Each state has their own um, licensure through the respective Department of Health. So yeah. I get that part. Where are national certification is good you know yes. like that there's yeah. this governing body that does that for um the certification part and then we get licensure which is a little bit different yeah i get that part and it turns out to be just more fees and this and that and i, I get the the purpose behind it mm-hmm. there's it's it's weird though for athletic training there's one state california doesn't have a, a regulation or licensure for athletic trainers all other 49 states do so essentially Anybody can call themselves an athletic trainer and not have the regimented education and training for certain things. So it's, I don't know, there's a ton of reasons for that that I'm not too familiar with. I went to school in San Diego, so Mm -hmm. a lot of that was brought up along the way that like, hey, we're the only state. Right. It's really just ultimately more detrimental for the athletes, especially at, say, the secondary or high school setting because... Mm -hmm. That's probably the most common setting for athletic trainers nowadays is high school or, or college athletics. So right. um, you're dealing with um, collision sports, dude, yeah. football, you know, so you should have some specialized training in that emergency medical care that athletic trainers can provide as allied healthcare professionals. Yep. We see this on um, professional sports sometimes. Any An athlete goes down, gets hurt. 
the crew that runs out is usually athletic trainers and like a team physician or orthopedic, something like that. Yeah. Uh, very commonly on those televised ones, they'll cut to a commercial break. They don't like showing, you know, the injury, stuff like that. So athletic trainers typically don't get a lot of shine. Mm-hmm. But um, it was last football season, there was a pretty big event where an athlete went down with a cardiac issue. And, you know, for several weeks or months afterwards, there's a little bit more attention on athletic trainers and just yeah. the uh, the... Rightfully urgency so. yeah to, to kind of make sure that they're involved in that type of stuff so it's kind of good getting that shine it's the circumstances aren't great because you don't want these tragic things to happen right and as you know I switched into this clinical setting so yeah we don't necessarily have to worry about a lot of that um, emergency and first responder stuff we have other routes for that so right. which kind of brings me to why I have worked in the setting that I've been working in for so long now like assisted living yeah i wanted to kind of step away from that emergency setting um especially doing clinicals and things like that in a hospital for school work just needed to be a little bit different and not to say that it's any less important taking care of all the old grandmas and grandpas out there but it's (laughs) it's still it's it's much easier and different than other CNA work or other nurse work so I feel the same way about athletic training compared to formal physical therapy because there's a lot of parallels in some of our education earlier on physical therapists go on to get a a doctorate so DPT is their program and they get more specialized training in neurological stuff in particular diseases and, and a lot of conditions like that so they will work with some of these elderly folks and mm-hmm. do daily PT like that and super important, right? But for, for me, just my, my spirit, that's not somewhere where I necessarily wanted to pursue right now. So there was a lot of my classmates and other colleagues that are using athletic training as almost like dual training and like a stepstone to get towards PT. Right. Totally fine. I think that ultimately that might make you a more well-rounded healthcare provider. That's what I love about healthcare. It doesn't it doesn't matter. You can pick they are there's almost infinite amount of paths and things to do in the healthcare setting. In any different just nursing alone, there are careers that I didn't even know existed that are becoming more and more popular now with nursing yeah. and it's just And you have to figure that out along the way. Oh yeah, but I even in your athletic training there's just so many different settings that you're able to choose to work in that you didn't probably didn't even know existed when you first started considering becoming an athletic trainer. Yeah, when I hopped into this this program at San Diego State, we get a lot of rotations at just different sites. Some of them are high schools or some are other colleges and universities in, in the local area. Kind of get this almost tunnel vision of we, we stay in a purely athletic competition setting. Yes. And then we learn that, oh, they're, they're involved in the industrial setting. And mm-hmm. People that are, anybody that's physically moving their body and where injury prevention can come in, that's where athletic trainers are getting plugged in. And, you know, my setting now in in the military, man, like these guys, I've heard the term used tactical athletes. So Mm -hmm. it's more specific for training for what they need to do. They're not going out to compete for sports. Right. But it's still like taking care of their body. Oh, yeah. I realized that shooting the guns and stuff this weekend. It's a lot of work holding, like, you got to be take care of your body for anything that you want to do that's it and it's just a lot of work to even hold 
a gun to shoot a gun to do anything to to run to put on any type of like i didn't have any type of vest or anything on like i couldn't imagine having like any type of weight on me as well and and then still performing in a certain way so that's what comes to mind when you say like tactical and stuff like that is keeping up your body for any type of situation that you're in and it doesn't have to be a sport that's it because yeah maybe generally a lot of us look at that type of stuff as only competitive athletes or something like that but just day-to-day functions and mm-hmm. running a household. People yeah. have to be able to carry stuff in the backyard or get, get your groceries out from the car. And, yeah. you know, you don't want to have to make 17 trips. So these are things we don't, we don't necessarily think about, but that, right. like, good carrying posture and all of that. We don't think about it until we're already injured or something gets hurt, and you're like, oh, wow, this is super important for just daily living. Yeah. I was just talking to Brandy's son, strained his neck or something, doing some exercises in the gym, and then daily activities are affected now like just turning your head to back out of the driveway is restricted now Mm -hmm. certain injuries are going to happen but there's definitely a lot of certain preventable prevention is where it's at yeah i've learned that as working in the setting that i've worked in for so long where especially through covid and everything like that we were so short-staffed that unfortunately i was put into situations where i probably shouldn't have been doing what i was doing but i didn't really have a choice i also didn't have the knowledge that I have now about how to actually lift and use my own body weight to help me lift somebody. So now that I have that, but I've definitely hurt my back a time or two and it's been a struggle. (laughs) Definitely. And you're not a a very tall or or a large person, we should say. So some of these patients are maybe twice your size. Oh yeah. And then you have to be able to be in a spot to maneuver them whether that's like from a chair to bed or i know like you've talked about like that that, a lot of stuff like that so training to do that where you kind of just think about it like i'll be able to do that but then if you're not getting the assistance from the other person Mm -hmm. it's like dead weight so to speak oh yeah which unfortunately i deal with a lot yeah so how are you going to create that leverage with your body and a lot of that isn't intuitive to a lot of us so we have to kind of train for it oh yeah and learn how to do it i had no idea i was never one I, i would just pick something up there wasn't a thought process there and there always needed to be and it wasn't until i really start i was like i'm either gonna be hurt and not able to work forever or i'm gonna figure this out so there has to be something done here yeah and and left to our own devices our body knows how to solve the problems of these movements yeah it might not be the most efficient for your body but then that's what it is it's it's usually more commonly small movement compensations over a long period that right. cause some of these injuries athletic injuries acute traumas mm-hmm. car accidents that stuff happens i think a lot of times that's people's vision in their mind of like what injuries are rather than maybe months years decades of poor postures or you know moving in a certain way repetition every day that we don't necessarily know and then we turn into these different um, postures you wear down on your body it's gonna catch up to you eventually just to take a little side street for a second, you said uh, you, you went to a shooting range or you guys just, this is your first time shooting a rifle, you said? Yes, it was. So was that in just, you know, somebody's property or did you go to a range? No, well, um, my boyfriend Cam is a police officer and they have a private police range that he just has to let the other officers know that he's going to be using. And if nobody's there, we can just go. So he's te- taught me there a couple times before. Do you use a handgun before? Yeah, and just... um. Uh, 22 and then a nine mil and 
that was like more than enough for me at the time and I got very comfortable with those two um so we tried to move it up yesterday and it was interesting shooting a rifle out you guys had some paper targets or I know sometimes there's no metal yeah like little metal targets which is cool because you You get to hear the little feedback yeah it's nice you know when you hit yeah I did end up shooting it I had a little little meltdown after the first time I shot because it's very overwhelming for somebody who hadn't grown up around guns or not enough anyways then I walked away for a minute went back to shooting my little handguns and then I was just like no we're not gonna end on this and then I went up and emptied a magazine in the rifle yeah let's get a little bit more confident obviously you're with somebody who's trained for this and does it regularly yeah And was able to really, we were able to take our time completely throughout the whole learning process, process, which was really nice. Like being able to, for him to be like, stop, you're not doing it right. Stop, you're not doing it right. Stop, 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 stop. Exactly. That's what it takes (laughs) is that because it's small little movements. Recently, uh, I went out to the range with my dad, stepbrother, and my first time since separating from the Air Force, where I had just minimal training on rifle. We, we trained on M16, so that's just kind of standard for most military branches. Obviously, in my um, aircraft maintenance setting, that wasn't anything we had to use. Right. We got retrained again before we got deployed, but other than that, it's just, you know, maybe six months or annually just kind of retraining on that, but it was never out in the range and right. practicing regularly in that setting. Um, it was you know, one instructor to like maybe 10 of us or something like that. So this one-on-one for you is just like, nope, stop that rather than we'll we'll kind of get basic guidance and coaching. And then after you you empty a a magazine that now, okay, now let's make the adjustments rather than that that shot by shot. Yeah, no, and I can't stress how important and like significant that is, especially for somebody, like I said, who had never grown up or been comfortable holding much less shooting a gun because it's very different than anything I've ever done before. Like I grew up around Eric playing little airsoft or whatever those were like yeah, nerf guns pellet a lot different. guns. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe a BB gun here and there. Exactly. But even that was a stretch. And so the one on one setting is huge. Just like especially I've been out one other time where I got taken to an a shooting range an indoor shooting range with i don't know maybe like 15 stalls and it was just the the noises and it was just i couldn't hear anything i think i was standing as far away humanly possible from that gun in my hands i was just i i was so scared of it and i there was no time there was no teaching there was nothing like that so to have the one-on-one is everything that i needed because seriously it's Okay, you got your feet right? Okay, move up to the gun. Your hands are right? Okay, safety's off. Okay, you ready? Gun's ready. Go ahead, whenever you're ready. And we literally taught about, talked about um, feeling the trigger. So, like, just feeling it hit the wall and then just slowly letting it go instead of, like, just trying to anticipate the shot. Right. So, like, things like that. I would have never known there was so much that went into shooting a gun that's super important. And I've done pretty well, like, 
I have a video and even Cam was impressed at once I once it made sense it was like oh shit this makes sense yeah you can get it like you learn by being in the position and feeling it yeah. I, w I was big on that at first too because like I said when I went again with my dad it had been a first time in a long time and there was so much yeah, remedial training that I needed that even for just f foot position and yeah um, like you said, hand position, being able to kind of lock out your shoulders and almost yes. lean forward in, into the weapon. This is all things that aren't natural for somebody that doesn't do it all the time. Right. So getting that little coaching, yeah. super fun, man. I'm glad yeah. you had that experience. Yeah, me too, especially because I'm not one that wants to be all heavy into shooting guns and or whatever, but I do think it's something important for people to know, especially in this world. Yeah, I know, like you said, our... our families and our immediate circles aren't um super educated in a lot of that stuff right. yeah man just defense we should all right. be educated and trained on yeah proper usage of that stuff it's definitely nothing to be afraid of but right. you know for as long as there's been weapons there's been misuse and oh, miseducation about it and then you know a lot of arguments and tragic events happen recently and for decades that oh yeah the, the cycle comes back around of like you know get rid of guns oh no it's education no it's mental health and it's all of those things it's uh, yeah it's just definitely a combined combined factor of all of that and it's always it's never you can't blame a, an object like that's just how i feel no matter what kind of situation we're looking at even something as drastic as like bombs and stuff it's always a person or a group or a or a thing that is setting that off that is creating those you know what i mean like yeah. i don't understand how you can blame the bomb for going off that's or the gun for going off right and yeah. that's what it was created for man unfortunately mass casualties exactly i don't want to go down this road too much because not only am i not educated enough in that but i don't necessarily have an opinion one way or the other i know i go back and forth a lot general public maybe we shouldn't have assault rifles available like specialized training and you know certifications that make sense but sure. the other side of it is we we can't let go of our constitutional right to bear arms it's funny you say that because i've been but we shouldn't have bombs you know oh no or have access to the materials to make them so easily yeah. i think that is but with like the right steps and training and experience, somebody should be able to own a rifle if they want, whether that's for hunting or just sport. That's all important, too. So it's hard to it's never a cut and dry thing. No. But with so many people in this country, it's hard to make a lot of nuanced little rules. Yeah. So it's um, the debates always come back to like all or none or. Yeah. You right. know, and that never solves anything. No, it's just funny you said about the amendments. I've been doing that online class with cam and stuff for u.s history and i just had to write an essay on like i just got the history book and was going through and i hadn't been in a history book since high school so it was just cool to actually go through a history book. i was talking talking about thomas jefferson and lincoln and douglas debates and all this stuff and i was like oh my god i forgot about all of this everybody should get a refresher on some u.s history every once in a while it's it's something that unless somebody's um very interested in just like the history aspect for their own personal reasons it's not anything that the average person needs to know but i think it helps put some of our politics and social issues today into better context of like this is where it came from oh definitely there was a time when there were debates that were actually to benefit the people in the sense that i don't know today with communication being so much easier and open 
we don't necessarily need that layer in between us to make decisions for right. us. But right. also, we're not all up to date. I know I'm not super Me educated either. in a lot of even local happenings. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's where the other side is. Like somebody that is ignorant like myself, should I be voting on certain things that I'm not trained on? Should this be um, the same response of like an emotional thing? Like, oh, I feel like this, then let me vote that way. That might not be the best way for the communities and the states and the, you know, the nation at large. I also do think that it was um, after reading a bit of the textbook, it was much less complicated back then, but it was yeah. much more just cut and dry. Well, I would I would imagine like all the the other stuff just didn't get written down and passed down. Like true. We, did, we didn't hear true. about the the stuff that wasn't important and actually positive. Very true. The, the stuff that gets passed to us seems like oh they had it super true. Organized. And you know, it's like the game of telephone. You always yeah. lose a little bit of it as you pass on for the entire human history, man. Like imagine all the stuff throughout the years that that we knew collectively but just didn't get written down yeah. all right so let's, let's switch gears again back to healthcare and nursing man so i know like this is something that you kind of had your eyes on since high school is that kind of something you knew or afterwards you started figuring out like this is where i'm going well okay so my grandmother always said that i used to say that i wanted to be a nurse when i was a kid and that makes a lot of sense i did always have like i loved caring for people but when I went to high, after high school, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. I went to college with little to no idea. I think I changed my major a few times within my after first year. Did you go right into, you went right into CCRI? No, I went right into RIT. All right, yeah, and Rhode Island College. Yeah. Did you have even nursing in mind there? No, not at all. At that point, it was psychology, which... I don't even think I had an intro. I don't even know where or why that was a, a consideration for a major at that time. But that's what happens when a 17-year-old is forced to make decisions about their entire life. And it's so silly that we're allowed to do that, but that's beside the point. So yeah, I, I think, it, I believe it was psychology first, and then I think I did a little stint for education, which... That's the only other thing I could see myself doing if it weren't nursing, is like a teacher. But then I didn't end up finishing Rick. I left there. From there, it was a little bit of like retail work and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And then somebody, I think it was my dad, had mentioned becoming a CNA. Never been keen on the idea of like wiping up after old people and taking care of them and yeah, I didn't know how I was going to feel about doing that. And that was either going to make or break nursing for me. And I was scared about that, too, because then then what? What was I going to do then if if I didn't like it and I couldn't do it? I was just like, well, crap. Oh, man, the old what ifs. Yeah. So but I did. I went to I. that's when I started at CCRI was because I found their program. And through financial aid at the time, I ended up only being like paying one hundred dollars for the entire CNA program, which was great for somebody who had no money <laughs> I know so, it's super important for a lot of in-state institutions for education like that that that's available I, right i'm not sure like what other states have but i know that ccri specifically was reduced way down like which is good having a financial or monetary investment in your education some of us don't feel that motivation to take it seriously right that's super individual many people take yeah. advantage of this but when i 
graduated my athletic training program and got certified, moved back to Rhode Island. My first job was at CCRI, Community College of Rhode Island. So with the junior college setting, there's not a big athletics department there. So right. I saw this with not only some of the student athletes, but other students around that. As long as you get a C or whatever the minimum qualifications yeah. were, you can keep going. Just doing the bare minimum. Yeah, exactly. And not taking full advantage. But at the same time, when I was 18, I did that because I didn't right. have the study skills for college. So. Luckily, I was a little bit older when I started CCRI, which I think was the, the game changer for me because I did get that little bit of life experience where I wasn't making any money and I wasn't able to really take care of myself or survive on my own. So it was like just a, a realization of, well, we're either going to keep doing this for the rest of my life or we're going to figure it out and change something so then once it became like my own gain my own responsibility that's when everything really changed for me and then got my CNA got my first job as a CNA which was pretty much the only CNA job I had until recent years like it was just the perfect fit for me it was the assisted living not so much hands-on. I had my fair share of emergency situations and lots of interesting nights there, but it wasn't so acute and hands-on as like a hospital CNA or even a nursing home CNA. So that's where I went from that. Probably a good way to maybe ease into the profession, Oh, definitely. For sure. Because if I had gone in and to the hospital and seen feeding tubes and all these things and... Sink or swim, maybe. See you later. So I'm really glad that I had that kind of bridge into it because then once it came time to get into the more hands-on CNA stuff, with, especially with nursing school and clinicals and stuff like that, and then even going into my med tech before that, I had so much experience already seeing residents take medication and dealing with medication that any type of experience that you have in healthcare usually is going to benefit you in moving forward because you just see things. You have to be in it, and that's why you did it right from the beginning of working along. A path, like a, a stepping stones almost. There's a lot of careers out there that, you know, you, you do four years or maybe six years of just academics and maybe an internship here and there, but you get all of this training and education, but you don't have any practical experience. Which is why I'm glad CCRI has finally made it where you have to be a CNA to apply to the nursing program, which I think is fantastic because if you want to be a nurse, I really do believe that you should be a CNA first in some kind of capacity. There's so many different CNAs that you can be. That doesn't mean you have to go work in a hospital like I didn't. Just get some kind of experience because most any experience is going to help you in the long run. So, And that's what's helped me a lot with nursing school is the experience that I've had because I've feel comfortable walking into most settings that I've come across and even the my whole first semester of, of nursing school was almost repetitive to a certain extent especially the clinical setting because I'd been in it for so long and it was just basic almost CNA work at that point. Many mo- nursing programs especially in Rhode Island are very competitive and backed up. So uh, yeah. that requirement of having a CNA shows not only more interest towards the field, but that you're going, you're going to have a better chance of succeeding at this. Right. Not being able to handle it or, or deciding that that's just not what you want to do. And then holding up that slot for the other right. person that, you know, was ready for this. Yep. So sometimes those like extra kind of prereqs seem a little weird, but in that case, it makes sense. Right. And in my case, it was, it was 
nice too because I was at a point in my life where I was really ready for it. So I bang those prereqs were like nothing to me. They were almost easy because I was I wanted it so bad. So I really took pride in that and getting into the nursing program. I'll be in my second semester in in September. All right. My prereqs took about a year before that, but it was also during COVID, so everything was a little different then. They hadn't had really online like asynchronous or synchronous classes before COVID, so they were really trying to figure all of that out and navigate through that at the same time that I decided to go back to school. So it was back and forth of online classes and figuring out how to do that so with work too but it worked out for me it was much easier than I thought it was going to be it was just once I started it kind of just felt like everything was falling in line and then I was like well I'm yeah, here you get that momentum going <laughs> yeah and, and the next thing I know I got into the nursing program so so if you stay on track this is what like a four-year program or since you already have this it'll be like another two no it's less it's a, about a year left i'll be graduating i'll get pinned in december of 2024 but i will walk the stage in may i believe good deal man so you know you still have a little bit of time but what what are you envisioning for like the next school step nursing i want to be a school nurse all right yeah like but high i want to go something? no <laughs> no little kids i oh, couldn't do elementary no. yeah i could not do high school kids um barely tall enough to be a high school kid so huh. <laughs> must don't. be this tall to enter is that <laughs> one of the prereqs no but they make they'll make fun of me i guarantee it and i already can't like no if you like trying to tell them something they'll be like patting me on the head no uh-uh no little kids i yeah, think that's awesome man and but then, it, i think that combines two things that i've always been passionate in like yeah you said the teaching I, thing exactly and i can have a little office and decorate it and if anybody knows me that's exactly what i want to do and just be able to like help little kids feel better that what's better than that that's good that you have that in mind and i could change my mind i mean i'm really waiting to get to our maternity and um peds rotation for nursing school and to get into um, maternity and what else peds kids oh pediatrics. pediatrics um because I really want to experience that in a hospital setting and that I'm kind of holding out to be the only thing that might change my mind that might pull me in a different career path and and that's awesome that you have a, a vision and a goal but is also flexible oh yeah I'm open-minded when I was when I was at San Diego State it was just my, my mind was I want to be an athletic trainer with professional or semi-professional baseball like that was just kind of my my vision I didn't again the part of it was not knowing the different settings that athletic trainers can be in, yep. but also like growing up playing baseball and was just very familiar with the sport, super passionate about it. So I was just like, this makes sense. Right. But then along the way, mostly after transitioning into this clinical setting with the, the Naval Station, mm-hmm. the work-life balance is a lot more steady with this eight, nine-hour shift. It would be very intense to be, I'd imagine you'd have to travel. Oh, and it's, it's pretty heavy, especially yeah. baseball particularly. It's such a long season. Right. The travels. And you've already spent the majority of my, well, from the time I was like, I don't know, what, 10 or 11 till yeah. maybe 18, you were gone. Yeah, between, like between the Air Force. Yeah. And just living in San Diego. Well, and this is a much better arrangement for everybody involved. <laughs> I agree. The, the work-life thing, man, even with collegiate sports, games are at night, practices are all these different weird hours, traveling, like you said, and then weekends, it's definitely rewarding, but over time, 
what's the trade-off? It's that right. work-life balance we were talking well, about. And that's my biggest fear with a hospital setting and being a nurse. Is, and the I've nurse burnout it. is very real. It is, I've, I've written papers on it because it is such a heavy focus in considering a lot of people considering to be nurses is the burnout rate. And, and I think that that's something where choosing your career is so important because I don't want to be burned out. I already get burned out in the setting that I'm at sometimes. So that's kind of why I want to scale it back a little more even. But I've talked about it in a sense where the hospital setting is is intense. And for somebody like myself, who's admittedly a very emotional person, and I, I carry things a lot heavier. And I, I tend to hold on to things that I know I shouldn't sometimes, but or that are, are out of my control. But that's something that's about I know about myself and I know that working in a hospital is a lot I don't want to bring work home with me all the time and have to take two hours to decompress or it's not worth it for me after a 12-hour shift and then God knows what I saw in that 12 hours who comes into a hospital depending on what kind of floor I'm on or unit or whatever the case is if I can avoid that it seems like a better option for me personally and that's good that you're already aware of that because I think a lot of times, well, it's probably common where people go into those settings, like oh, you said, no, head first. Yep. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes the burnout happens even faster. Yeah, depending on what kind of just psychological tools you have available. And, and I do want to keep my skills fresh. Like I want to, my plan is to, especially as a new nurse, um, pick up a couple travel contracts and stuff during the summers and time school vacations and stuff like that just to keep my skills fresh and and get a little bit of my feet in the water with that stuff but not have a full-time job like be able to do a week or two weeks see you later i've had some friends i used to work with that and i went a similar route that you did cna and then rn did have some background and experience with the traveling nurse and i've heard some great stories from them yep getting to go to all different parts of the country yep and then some of those contracts are great compensation along with that oh, yeah and even just being local like i can be a travel nurse and pick something up in massachusetts and get paid equally as well and come home at night so in along the way you know you said um, some of your early experience in the assisted living and even up until now do you have any crazy stories or like <laughs> what's some of the, like the, the weirdest stuff you've seen or i should say maybe even just most challenging to you that really brought you outside of your comfort zone yeah, so I work midnight, or I work 11 to 7 right now. So Third graveyard shift. Oh, yeah. With typically two other females in the building with me at night. So that alone is a challenge in and of itself because we have, I'd say, 120 beds in the entire place. And now it's an apartment-like setup. Everybody has their own apartment because it's an assisted living. So that adds a challenge to itself. Because you're not just walking down a hallway where you can see some call lights and open doors and hospital beds. Everybody has their own furniture. Everybody has their own apartment set up. I walk in there and I'm tripping over stuff because it's their own place. That is a challenge. Um, last week I did have a resident escape. So I say escape. The technical term... Is this Shutter Island? <laughs> it feels like it at night, yeah. dude. The, the noises and it's in a building that was really old it's a really old building the elevators just open and shut and go up and down on their own they just 
the noises it might be haunted dude. it is haunted and i know that and so i've come to terms with that and we talk to the ghost and i'm like guys just please tonight just, work with us man yeah just it's tonight's not the night guys please but no so a resident on the assisted living side they do technically have free reign and an elopement isn't until they make it onto the street which if our property is pretty big and you have to go down a pretty hefty hill to get down to the street and so it takes a while for it to even be considered an elopement. So I just say that he escaped because he went out the back door. By the time that the alarm went off on the back door, I'm not allowed to go check by myself. So I have to wait for another CNA to come. We go check the door. We don't see anybody. We go outside. We're yelling. Don't don't see anybody. So go back inside. By the time we walk back up to the front of the building, this resident had made it all the way around the building and he is dripping blood from his fingertips he's holding them down and he's dripping from his fingertips and his head he has bald spots all in little white hair patches and white hair was red and then just patches of different cuts on and blood on the top of his head and he was very out of it and the poor thing who who's usually very with it he doesn't have a dementia diagnosis or anything and he was just very out of it. And so that was the challenge because it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to explain to him. He just wants to go lay down. And I'm like, buddy, you're going to the hospital. I also have one other staff member that's not tied up now. But she's forced to stay on the locked unit that we have. So now me and my other CNA are all tied up. If somebody else pages, if somebody else calls for us. Oh, now it starts getting more Yeah, real. so then I'm running around... What, what to happened to this dude? Did it, did he just fall or did it like? Yeah, well, so we tried to walk around the building and found and find where he fell. I can imagine that he just. Our property is very uneven and it's on a hill, so we sit at the top of a hill. So whichever way you're going down is downhill. He's eighty something years old. It's one o'clock in the morning. He's very out of it because he should be asleep. So I can imagine that he fell outside. I couldn't find any blood anywhere, so I'm. I was. We weren't sure where he fell. Oh, you, you didn't find any blood on the ground? No, but it was also pitch blackout and we were trying to go around with flashlights and I'm trying to hurry up and get back in the building. Like Now now you're doing um, police work and I investigation. Know. You're <laughs> so that's also the thing about working nights that a lot of people don't explain to you, um, especially in an assisted living setting where there's not a nurse on 24-7. I don't have a charge nurse. I don't have any directors. I have every key to the building at that point. There's nobody above me, a med tech. So it's a very different setting than even a nursing home because there's, I have, to, I have to figure a lot of shit out on my own, which I think that helps, again, my nursing journey all the more because I, I really do have to use my head a lot. Sending somebody to the hospital in assisted living is tricky because they do have rights and they have rights to refuse so but it's also we have a policy of an unwitnessed fall you go so the amount of times i've had to fight with family members because they they don't understand that and it's not their fault it's it's a very complicated especially sending your 80 something year old now injured confused family member to the hospital by themselves is not fun it's scary i i'm on board with that I, I feel for you but I have to do what I have to do to take care of your family member at that point so that's probably another huge challenge of the job is is family members they try for the most part to really understand and be 
a part of their family member's care, but it's very hard when they're not there all the time and don't see how these your sweet little angel grandmother acts at two o'clock in the morning when she's confused or has a UTI. Like it's just challenging. They everybody wants to see the good in sweet old people, and it's not. It's just not. It's the not case realistic, all the time, man, no. Especially when they're semi isolated like that. Yeah. When I do per diem work, especially if I work like a youth soccer camp or a tournament like that, a lot of times having to deal with parents right on the spot. Oh yeah. Obviously, they're concerned about their their child, but most of the time, it's. They don't have the knowledge or the, the, to understand what's really going on in that setting. Yeah. And we just need you to step back for a second. And it's, it's challenging for me, too, because I don't necessarily know the individual athlete's normal behavior. Right. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically for soccer because we look a lot for, for concussions. Mm -hmm. Some of the initial assessment is, does this person seem confused or different from how they normally are? So that's very difficult to assess yes. in that first time. But then, you know, communicating to parents, Okay, look, I don't think it's a concussion, but over the years it's changed where they used to do potential grades of concussions. Now it's just concussion or no. Yeah. A lot of times we're just overcautious. Let's treat it as a concussion. These are things to look for. If yeah. things get worse, you have to, yeah, the parents are going to know better if your child seems like a little bit out of it. Right. The things that you can't objectively measure. Right. There's a certain test that can get administered. There's a it's called a, a SCAT-5, or I think the new one is SCAT-6, and it's Sport Concussion Assessment Tool. Those get upgraded throughout the years, and it has a bunch of different questions like immediate memory and recall, mm -hmm. obviously physical symptoms, yeah. you know, all of these things, pain and restriction. So, like, you can run through all of that, but then the most important things are an hour from now or even 6 or 12 hours from now, how does this progress or... Do you have somebody around you to be able to monitor and take care of that rather yeah. than you have to keep an eye out for this and maybe get transported to a clinic? That way. Well, that's what I have to advocate for my patients. And that just happened two nights ago. So it's fresh in my brain. Firemen and firefighters, EMTs. I mean, I get it. It's two o'clock in the morning. I probably just woke you up in this small town. You don't want to be here. But when you're coming in, and my resident is bleeding from both knees and I'm telling you her baseline is off and she's confused and she's saying, I don't want to go to the hospital. Of course she doesn't want to go to the hospital, but she no longer gets the right to make that decision. I'm sorry. But when the fireman looks at me and says, well, I'm the fireman. Well, I'm the med tech in this building. What? It, okay, now that we established titles, I'm still going to advocate for my patient. She's not right. And I know that. I see her every single night. But And I've had to do that multiple times with not only family members, but EMTs, which is mind-blowing to me in and of itself. What what does it hurt you to, to take them to be evaluated? You know, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I can't speak too much to that. But then it, I'll see this where I'm in some of my undergrad training and clinical rotations with these universities and colleges. We have meetings with the local fire department and EMS just to establish just basic protocols of head injuries and heat and Ill, and yeah. heat cold injuries of yeah. look when when you guys get here th this is kind of how it's going to go so right. that we know everybody's on the same page exactly and, and you know it might seem redundant and a lot of times mm -hmm. we're like oh like we already know the routine but then every every year or so maybe there's different personnel coming from the, involved in EMS so right. refreshing to know that hey look we, we're, we're doing this spine stabilization and that 
there's certain ways to transport athletes with when that's considered compared right. to you know if they're up and moving um especially the the biggest thing with with heat illnesses and it's pretty common but you the established protocol now is you have to start cooling them as immediate as possible move them to shade the ideal standard of of care is submerging them in a cold tub up to shoulders if possible obviously monitored and make sure that they're not in a space to slip under the water right but you have to cool the temperature to a certain thing before transporting where back in the day it was just like we're trying to slap ice packs on them and then uh, and and then as soon as ems gets here they transport them but over the years the, the they noticed that it's the the chances of survival are like 90 plus percent 90 like it's super high when we cool and then transport so it's being on board of this is how it goes rather than when ems gets here you guys aren't immediately taking over we're cooling this this athlete and then we transport yeah when you talk about that and and being on board with ems and and fire and stuff like that it it's so important especially in settings like mine where we have I have such a huge building so I used to work at a for the same company but a different facility a different building and a few years back we had it was February and a, a pipe had frozen and burst originally just set off the fire alarm so we were expecting fire or smoke and to see water and ceiling tiles coming down and significant flooding like puddles and puddles coming down and being activated in that emergency situation really makes you think why you practice fire drills and and things like that in a setting like mine because it's so important to be on the same page with with firefighters and stuff like we were doing a full evacuation of the of the building and to be on the same page with the firefighters who are also just pulling people out but we're trying to tell them where to bring these people because they these people are old and they can't take care of themselves and it's also february and freezing outside and it's now five o'clock in the afternoon and dark outside so like we can't just dump these people outside so then drills started becoming very much more often after that preparation and just running through you don't get that stuff in textbooks, dude. No. Nope. You have to do Absolutely it. Absolutely not. No. And I just had a surprise fire drill last week on my overnight, and that's always so much fun. But it, it needs to happen because I have three staff in the building. We need to be able to practice, which I had to fight with my boss about because when they did this fire drill, they chose to do it at 6.15 in the morning. Everybody is already coming into the building. I had, on my normal overnight, like I said, three girls maybe four if we're lucky for this fire drill there was upwards of 10 people working this fire drill with me and I was just like I went up right to my boss after and I was just like appreciate what you did here because I really didn't want to do it alone but we need to do it alone because none of this stuff is going to get done because there's three of us here they want us to put these little red signs on the on the doors of the bill of the rooms that we have to clear who's doing that when I have to go worry about 10 other things at the same time I was just like, we need to prepare when it's a little more realistic. Yeah, man. And that, that makes sense. That's something I probably wouldn't consider is that you do these kind of formal drills with a, an imaginary fully staffed place. But in reality, I wouldn't have thought of, of that, that if I hadn't gone through the situation of the flood where it was just uh, luckily it happened at four o'clock in the afternoon. Like I said, between four and five, where we had enough staff in the building, but had we not, it really made us stop and think about what would have happened if that happened on an overnight. 
what do we do? And what's the first thing that you do? Because you can't get all of that done, which is the key point. So what's the first thing that I should do? And then what's the second? Right. And a nice, yeah, systematic approach. Yeah. Give me a couple things that you can think of that maybe you wish you knew earlier about the career or that would be beneficial not only for up and coming people thinking about nursing. I don't know. Is it more um, just your personality? Do you think you have to be built for it? No, you have to be built for it. I think you were exactly right with how you were going with that at first. Um, only specifically what comes to mind is the fact like Amy, our sister, I tried to get her into CNA forever for so long and she just never wanted it was not in her it wasn't something that I don't think genuinely I don't think she would have been good at it yeah so you can't like convince just not I think she would have liked the patient interaction she would have been an awesome CNA in that sense I just don't think you have to be built for that in a sense um and the compassion I've met a, a good number of CNAs that should not be CNAs or and, and nurses and just medical professionals altogether. Doctors, now I've come across that if if you can't have some kind of compassion and, and, and really fine-tune and work on your patient interaction and patient care, it, you're not going to be a good CNA. You will do it. You can do it, but you're not going to succeed and be good at it. I also think that I grossly underestimated how much of just being a CNA is sitting with a patient and consoling or just holding their hand or... Just being there, man. Just listening. I thought it was very much just like cleaning them up, changing them, putting them in bed, turning them over, all the things you learn about in school, but it's so much more than that. I wrote a whole paper on therapeutic touch and how that relates into nursing and and patient care and it is freaking insane especially in in my field where we do physical therapy but the power of touch is a real thing then this interacts with any kind of healthcare field like you were talking about um nursing mm-hmm. sports medicine this intertwines in in what they call holistic healing and yeah, more right. naturopathic energy work and reiki like we know that even like massage therapy things like that it's huge man so underestimated yeah and there's a a lot of we we've been able to isolate different mechanisms and why that is some of it is just the nervous system and actual the touch itself but then what that triggers for just care and us as as creatures as human beings as primates this is a built-in thing where we're social creatures that's probably the the most in many settings, one of the most important parts, similar in, in sports medicine and um, some of these clinics that I'm in, way more time is spent just educating and, and trying to explain how these things work together in a way that makes sense to them rather than just hitting them with the facts. Yeah. A lot of people don't necessarily care about anatomy or biomechanics until you show them how it relates to their everyday life. So yeah, I've, I've found it's not that they don't care most. It's a lot of people don't understand it right yeah and that's that's kind of what i mean it's not that they're just willfully yeah, saying like that right. makes sense and ignoring it but they, they don't understand the context yeah. so you have to take a step back kind of establish where they're coming from and then say like this is why it's important to do this it's the same thing with any kind of healthcare setting man oh and, yeah and just communication in general a lot of times people need to just take a step back and try and explain something a different way first before assuming that people are just either against or don't understand the idea that you're presenting yeah. i've i've had to realize that a lot especially lately is that i 
think I'm coming off one way and I say thing one something one way and somebody else interprets it a completely different way and then I the ideal goal of that conversation is completely lost. Yeah, and that never like clears up by itself. Yeah. It's it's always the challenge is yes. interpersonal communications yeah. is an ongoing thing. That reminds me too in the nursing setting we know this but in in many other like MD or orthopedic settings too you get maybe overwhelmed in certain settings where it just becomes more mechanical and kind of just running through these patients. I think it's in um, most of America, generally, I think there's an average time where doctor-patient interactions is around like six or seven minutes. So imagine that you can't get a full history from all of this. So we know that we're relying on nurses' interactions, and then the doctor comes in for this. I worked in an orthopedic office, and, and I worked for a very busy um, spine surgeon, and he is... <laughs> his schedule just astonished me and so many other people he would see from usually like 7 or 7 30 until about 3 30 in the afternoon hour or he would have 15 minute time slots triple booked in 15 minutes three patients in a in one 15 minute time slot every 15 minutes for the entire day that's wild man how much time are you spent but you can only physically he can only spend so much time so most of it was my intake on the person and he would gather information, go in, do this quick, quick, boom, boom, in and out type thing. And then so many patients did not leave the happiest. And I can, I can see why. He's a busy man and it's his time, like he's also operating too in yeah. between that all. So like, it's yeah, just it's the healthcare. It's just time management, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, part of this stuff too, like I don't want to get into it, but the insurance aspect of this is a reason why it's like certain procedures or assessments or whatever aren't like covered. So you mm -hmm. can't do these. You have to take shortcuts. And I know it, it sucks for a lot of people to hear that, but it's like in order to get through this patient load, shortcuts have to be taken. Oh, yeah. People get turned away completely you're not operable are you really though yeah or if if it's not something that's super urgent yeah but, you know every individual de deserves the same amount of care yeah. but then it comes down to other professionals kind of deeming this appropriate or this we can put off it's a it's a tough spot on that thanks for listening to this episode of dan's den don't forget to follow and turn on notifications so you don't miss our latest releases if you enjoyed this conversation please share it also, check out our other episodes. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.